Hey, this is Howard Jacobson, and I am thrilled to be joined on the line today by Lucinda Duncath, the founder and CEO of Real Foodworks, which is a really interesting interesting business that is just getting started up and, and off and running in the Philadelphia area. Welcome, Lucinda. Thanks, Howard. It's great to be here with you today. Yeah, well, I was excited to have this call ever since I met you. I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, and I got a, a tour and a delicious lunch. And Yeah, we were so glad to have you in Philadelphia. We had the warm falafel salad. Yes, that was that was just gorgeous. Um, and I was just really, really taken by not only the, the business model and, you know, that it's, it's, it's a very inclusive model. There's a lot of people that have to be involved. It's very sort of community based. Um, I was obviously taken by the delicious food, but also by the inclusion of coaching. So before we're, we're in a minute, in a bit, we're going to talk all about real food works and what it is and how you got started. But I'll, I'll let the cat out of the bag a little bit and say it's about real food. It's about it sure is. A, a largely plant based diet. And so how did you get interested in, in plant-based eating? Did you grow up uh, hippie vegan or did something happen <laughs> to, uh, to, to turn you on to uh, the plant, whole food plant-based lifestyle? Well, I'd say like, like many, many, many of us, I was turned on originally by uh, seeing Forks Over Knives. So my food background is I was pretty lucky growing up. I had a mom who was a wonderful cook and I've always eaten whole foods, but in, that included a lot of um, meat and dairy, although probably way more vegetables and, and fruit than most, uh, and whole grains and all the rest than most people have. Um, and I was in my late forties and just coming to the conclusion that what I eat really does matter. And my mom in her eighties saw forks over knives, uh, in New York and suggested that I see it. Um, and I had a number of reactions. The first was, is this really true? Um, and then as I did added research and discovered how true it is, um, I had the reaction, well, how on earth did I not know this before? I was pretty knowledgeable and well-read, and I just really didn't know. Uh, and then I tried it and was just astounded at the immediate results. You know, it's one thing to read the research and understand how it will affect me years from now. It's another to actually experience it immediately, which I did. Um, so it was Forks Over Knives and then talking to people and reading more and more uh, and coming to understand the power and, and experiencing it. Yeah. So when you say, you say you were in your late 40s and you became, you became interested in food sort of before your mom suggested that you see it, you were sort of like poking around. Was, was there anything going on with your health that you were thinking – this isn't optimal or sort of like this is what late 40 is like because yeah I was I was pretty lucky I'd have been very active I'm still an athlete still competitive athlete and um, always was a pretty healthy eater I was I've been a vegetarian for my pretty much my whole adult life except for a brief period um, when I was pregnant with my first daughter um, but I was it, like I as an adult was eating tons of dairy. I was a vegan briefly in my early twenties, but that was you know the late eighties. It was nearly impossible to do, uh, and I was I think like pretty much everybody then a junk food vegan. Um, so I was eating my late forties, and I was just having all the standard things. You know, it was taking me a lot longer to recover from hard workouts. I was about twenty pounds heavier than I wanted to be just um, mostly because of the the pressure that that puts on your joints. Um, I'm pretty arthritic, and that pain was sort of slowing me down. 
Um, and so I'd been, I'd tried a number of things, primarily actually to lose weight. I tried a number of approaches and I, none of them worked and I didn't like any of them. And, um, and I'm a very, very hardcore foodie. I was a real gourmand, both cook and even more importantly, eater. So I was always turned off by a kind of the quote unquote healthy eating crowd. And, and my idea was that that meant brown rice and steamed broccoli. Um, so it was really, it wasn't a, I didn't have diabetes. I wasn't, um, you know, I didn't have any cardiac issues or anything else. It was just more of this generalized, boy, I think, feel like I'm about halfway through this journey. I think this matters. Mm. So I guess if, you, if you're a vegetarian and you want to lose weight in, you know, 21st century America, your options are kind of limited. Well, completely limited, right? And add to that that I'm a working mom and with a pretty intense schedule and job where, you know, I, I think I reflect pretty much society that I can't cook every meal. I cook way more than most people do as it is, and you can't cook every meal, so then what do you do? Exactly, where do you go? You know, restaurants are notorious um, for adding salt, sugar, and fat to pretty much everything. That's how they make it taste good. And now that I'm deeply inside restaurants, I can tell you it's completely true. They add salt, sugar, and fat to everything. So where, you know, what are you going to do? Prepared foods, I didn't want to eat things from a grocery store freezer with 50 ingredients, 45 of which I couldn't, I had no idea what they were. So it is really limited options. That's exactly right. You know, so I, I always say, and it's really true, I, I felt like if I had to eat one more garden salad, I was going to just shoot myself. <laughs> I like salad, but geez. Right. I saw a, a funny little clip on The Onion, uh, the, the satirical magazine, where mm -hmm. the, the headline is, Vegetarian option in, res in res restaurant is iceberg lettuce on piece of bread. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so you're, you're convinced now. You see forks over knives. You're, you're curious enough to do more research. You start right. believing it, but you're a foodie. And yep. you have you have a um, a prejudice about what vegan or whole plant based food looks like. It's brown rice and steamed broccoli. So where do you go to 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 be a gourmand in this field? Did you like buy cookbooks or ask yep, friends? Yep, that's exactly what I did. Is I bought a jillion cookbooks, and I I started. It took me fully a year to be able to to reliably cook good whole food plant based food for my family. Um, you know, I had the experience, which we'd never had, if I'd make something and put it on the table, we'd all start eating, and I'd just look at everyone and say, okay, we're not, we're not eating this. This, this isn't good. Um, now it's second nature to me, you know, so I was a pretty typical, cooked with lots and lots of olive oil, um, thought that was good for me. So there's really this whole new set of things that you have to learn how to do, and I did it from a combination of books. Lots of blogs. I mean, it's even in a couple of years, it's been two and a half years now. Um, even in that time, there's way more available in terms of individuals blogging and individual stories and a lot of the Engine 2 stuff. And there's just a lot out there in terms of, of books and resources that didn't exist then. So then it was mostly, you know, the happy herbivore was extremely helpful to me. Um, I actually feel like I've a bit grown beyond some of her stuff now because, you know, she uses a lot of ketchup and mustard and, like, onion powder and things like that. I prefer to cook with a whole thing to start. But super helpful along the way. Jeff Novick's stuff, we eat freezer soup in our in our household regularly, every week at least. Um, 
So there were, it was really reaching out and taking advantage of, of the resources that were available and then bringing in and, and learning how to do it. Um, the things then, there was lots I had to figure out for myself, you know, so eating out is challenging. Um, and it took me a long time to be comfortable being as difficult as I am. I'm very, very nice about it. As sweet as I can be. And I start with some kind of, look, I have this crazy thing that I have this crazy diet and I really apologize, but I need blah, blah, blah. And can you tell me what's in this? And what I do basically now is I just pull apart a menu into its components and build something for myself. So I'll say, you know, can I have that, but with this instead of that and put this over here? I was at a, I'm on a number of um, boards and I was at a board dinner one night with a bunch of guys at a steak kind of place and I had the crab meat salad without the crab. And it was absolutely delicious. It was, you know, avocado and things over a bed of, a bed of lettuce. So I think, um, it's a learning process and it's a learning process at home and how you cook and it's a learning process out. Mm-hmm. I found that, you know, I'll, I'll go out to eat at restaurants when I want like a treat. Like something mm-hmm. that's maybe that's maybe a little more oily and salty than I would mm-hmm. make at home, like you know, so like Indian food. Yep. But but otherwise, if I go out to restaurants, I almost feel like it's more work <laughs> to get it what is. I want at a restaurant than to cook it myself. Yep. Yeah, it's true. It's it's true. You know, I I the reason I eat out so much is that I eat out you know professionally. It's it's not that I choose to necessarily. I actually love cooking. Um, you know, and then on the time I've really gotten better. I you know one of the things that I don't that I think is difficult is a lot of us in the whole food plant-based movement at this point are pretty hardcore. Um, and we do, we say things to people like, well, just cook your week's food on Sunday. <laughs> and I just think it's completely unrealistic. Like I cooked, I did this weekend cook a big pot of minestrone soup because my 10-year-old just loves minestrone soup. I wish I could give her something out of a can. I would happily give her something out of a can, except that I literally can't buy something that meets my nutritional standards. So I have never been so proud of myself as just the fact that I got one pot full of minestrone soup, which is going to give her three lunches. Okay, well, what do we do, you know, for the rest of the week? So I think, I think that the reality of people's lives is that they don't know how to, or they don't have time to, or they don't choose to prioritize cooking. I think we have to accept that and not make them feel guilty about them, but give them coping mechanisms instead, right? Given that truth, 70% roughly of American food that's consumed is, is prepared. People aren't cooking. So to, to, you know, so people like you go for the treat. I think that's great. And I do think that there's sort of, you're never going to get it as clean at a restaurant as you're going to get it at home. You're just not. But, we need to help people get as close as they can. We are all about, I am all about, you know, where are you and just move in the positive direction. If you've got, if you've got a tablespoon of oil in that, I'm not thrilled, but it's a whole lot better than your french fries were, which probably had, you know, a quarter cup. So you gotta get to perfection, but let's help, let's be realistic about how people live their lives and what they're gonna do. Otherwise they get turned off. What I say to, what I say to people all the time is, I'd way rather have you eat, you know, three quarters plant-based for the rest of your life than 100% plant-based for two weeks. And that's what happens. We can't scare people away, right? We have, it's not only perfection, it's progress. Right. Well, you know, um, you can look at it in terms of you're either moving 
in a good direction or a not so good direction. That's right. And, you know, someone who, who adds a vegetable to their diet once a week is already unusual in this country. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I just saw there was a, there was a good article in the New York Times about, about broccoli and sort of how to market healthy foods. And I just tweeted this morning, you know, more than half of Americans are eat less. What is it? I forget the numbers now. I tweeted and I've forgotten. Anyway, it's shocking how little fruit and vegetables people eat. So we focus on like one of the things I tell people, the first step is just add a huge salad every day, like a huge salad. So we're not talking about what you're stopping doing and what you're taking away. Instead, you're talking about what you're adding. And everybody would rather add than subtract. And in fact, what happens then is that big salad crowds out something that's terrible for you. So you just, you know, that's one step. And then the next step we take people through is um, is non-dairy milk. So obviously, we'd love to get them off dairy as well. And you just sort of take a positive one-step-at-a-time approach. There's very few people who are good at just jumping in all at once. And people aren't successful. They get all excited, they try, and then they fail. So it's much, it's actually slower but more effective to bring them over, through over time. Right. So, so after you watched Forks Over Knives and you bought a gazillion cookbooks and you experimented for a year, some, something in you also said, here's a business opportunity. Or, That's or, right. Or here's a, here's a, here's a, a social entrepreneurship opportunity. When, when and how did that tickle start in your brain? And, so your your listeners should know that I'm um, uh, pretty much my whole career have done technology startups, and I had sold the most recent one uh, just bef- just after I saw Forks Over Knives. And after after I do that, I've done that a number of times. Basically, what I do is I spend a year or two just looking around for the next thing to do. And so I was a little bit in that mode. What's the next thing to do? And as I became aware of the whole plant-based movement and experienced it, I really had three observations. First of all, it completely works, right? The data, the science will show you that it works long-term, and your personal experience will show you that it works, works immediately. Second of all, there's this real trend, overarching trend, towards healthier eating, towards more whole food plant-based, um, towards understanding sort of fresh and local and an interest in what we call real food. And then third of all, it's really hard. All those issues that we just talked about. I, you know, I think what people are always amazed once they start eating this way is that there's really no motivational challenge, right? The folks were talking today, I was in a meeting about grilled cheese sandwiches and even candidly just the idea of it grosses me out at this point. And that's not like a decision or something. It's just once your palate is clean, it just tastes terrible. You don't want it. So you don't have that typical diet deprivation motivation problem. But what you do have this logistical problem is where do you actually get the food? So that that gap, trend, something that works yet really hard for an entrepreneur spells opportunity. And so I started ideating with all kinds of, because of my background, tech things, you know, an app that would tell you what to eat or give you recipes or track something or a social network where we could all talk about it, which is actually something I still want to do, um, you know, newsletters or contents or magazines or whatever. And I kept coming back to the fact that the problem is the actual food on our plates in front of us. 
that it's not all this surrounding stuff, that it's actually the food and getting the food in people. And so one of the companies, a very, very successful local company in Philadelphia is Nutrisystem, you know, where they sign up for what I think is horrific food, um, but in a subscription model to lose weight. And so I thought, well, why couldn't I be a healthy version of Nutrisystem where the food actually tastes great? Um, but I had a couple, I found a couple entrepreneurs who had built very similar companies, not with whole food, plant-based food, but freshly prepared, delivered, home-delivered subscription food. And they all said, don't do it. The production is just a nightmare. Kitchens are expensive. You're managing a difficult staff. All kinds of things happen in the supply chain. You know, what do you do when your lettuce, your eight cases of lettuce shows up bad? How do you get out to customers? So I sort of forgot about it. And then I had a, um, does the light bulb go on, which is I was having uh, breakfast. I was having a business lunch at a restaurant in the Philadelphia suburbs. It was empty. It was a Tuesday. And I was driving back to my office, and it just occurred to me, well, wait a second. They have the kitchens. They manage that staff. They have the supply chain. Why couldn't I teach them how to cook whole food plant-based and then have them create the food so I wouldn't have all those problems? And I called those two guys back. And they both said, brilliant, it would totally work, it would totally solve all the problems that you have. And so that's what we've done. So I founded the company, Real Food Works, in May of 2012. We have now 19 restaurant partners. We teach them to cook plant-based. We have a whole curriculum we take them through. They come up with recipes, so their own flavor profile. So, you know, we have Korean and Italian and every other thing. Um they meet our very stringent nutritional specifications, which are whole food plant-based. Um, we do have some added meat, which I can talk about if, you, if you'd like. We have, we have two meat items a week we offer as well. All of our meat is whole food level four, so it's grass-fed, you know, pastured, free-range, et cetera, et cetera, organic. Um, and our customers then buy a subscription. They can buy, we have a variety of different plans, both for what we call healthy living, which are just sort of people who were like me. And also we now have weight loss, which is really going like gangbusters. I dropped 22 pounds when I went on this. I dropped 15 without even thinking about it in like a month and a half. And then another seven that just ticked down over the next six months. Um, so weight loss, you know, it's a huge benefit. And in fact, it's, it's such a motivator for people. Our motivation is just to get people to eat real food. Um, but if that's how they, that's what we can do to get them to do it, that's fine. So we have these programs, customers sign up, um, and then they get real food delivered to them each week. The meals are all completely prepared. They just heat them up. Um, they come in a cooler bag. When we drop off the next week's food, we pick up last week's cooler bags. There's sort of a recycling element in it. And overall, people love it. We, we, we were off to a grand start. Um, our hope is to go, you know, extend geographies and eventually be national. But right now, we're very focused on Philadelphia and just honing the model. So what's what's in it for the restaurant partners? Is it that you're you're providing an asynchronous market so they don't have to be, you know, really, really busy for two hours a day and then sitting around on their hands for the rest of the time? You got it. So it's really three things are in it for the restaurant. That's exactly one. So it's revenue generation and very profitable revenue generation for them because we we pay an agreed upon price per meal, but they already paid for the staff and the and the and the facility, so you know all that they have is food costs. So it's it's the prices work for the customer, and there it's very profitable for them. The second thing is 
they really are getting lots of people like you and me who walk in and say, can I have this without that and I want that, and they don't know how to cook healthy food. The majority of, the vast majority of trained chefs were trained in the, in a French tradition, lots of cream and butter. Um, and so we're actually teaching them how do you meet this market need. And then lastly, it's marketing for them. So their name goes on every meal, their name goes on the menus, they, we, we do press events with them, and um, it positions them as a healthy option for people. So it's really the three things, revenue, knowledge, and marketing. So have they, they, they provide meals through your distribution channel. Have they changed their own menus for, for walk-in customers as well? I am so happy to report that the answer to that is yes. Um, so far we have two out of the 19, although a good number of those 19 are pretty new, who have actually changed their standard menus because of us. So, for example, one cut their their salt way down by to to about by about two thirds to a third of what it was in in a number of the dishes. Um, another one now cuts uh, a salad dressing with pureed cauliflower, which tastes terrific, much healthier, and actually saves them money as well. So, yes, that's happening. The other thing we're just starting to work on, we have as an initiative, is getting our restaurants to put our menu items on their menu so that our customers and other people who want genuinely healthy food, whole food, plant-based foods, can go and just order off the menu. You know, give me the warm falafel salad, and it'll have a little Real Food Works logo next to it. Uh-huh. Is, is there a, just as a, as a business question, is there a danger of you becoming the middleman and getting cut out? Or are you fine with that as, in supporting the movement? Or do you get- Well, paid? I'd be fine, I'd be fine with that if they do, but we don't actually see that happening because the reality is each customer gets a bag each week with food from five or six different restaurants. And they know that it's clean because it's come through us. So I think it's, there's a sort of different value proposition than just going to the, going to the restaurant. They, they sort of, you know, if they get those one or two dishes, they could get those one or two dishes, but we have 160 dishes in our, in our inventory. So you can't, that's a pretty hard experience to replicate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so let's, let's talk about the fact that you have, you have meat on the menu. So, you know, I heard as you, as you were describing the, uh, you know, the standards for, for the meat that you provide, um, in my mind, the, you know, ethical vegan listeners, are, are rolling their eyes or stamping their feet or, or you know, yep. snorting through their noses at, uh, at what they think of that. What's, what's your, um, you know, s- social and business philosophy ar- around that decision? Yeah, so I'll tell you, first of all, that I um, never use the word vegan to describe either myself or our service. I am deeply respectful of ethical vegans and the movement. Um, and I think that I really do understand what that means and what it's about. And although 90% of the world might see me as vegan, I don't see myself as a vegan, and I would completely understand vegans not seeing me that way either. So, um, for example, I might, I don't, but I might eat honey. Um, I do wear leather shoes. Um, and I actually think that humans are fine eating some meat from a health standpoint. Um, and I think that some na- animals are natural carnivores. It's un- I don't think we're carnivores, 
Um, but, you know, I have conversations with vegans that are concerned about their cats eating eating meat. Your cat was meant to eat meat, right? We do live in a world where animals eat each other. Um, so I, although I am completely disgusted and by what we do um, as we have mechanized and automated and dehumanized the process of farming meat, um, and will and no, you know, really go as far as we can not to participate in in that end of that spectrum. I think there's a very clear delineation between someone who's vegan and someone who's not, and I don't claim to be. So, um, I love many of the things that the vegan movement does and stands for, and I support them. Um, but I don't, I don't claim, and I don't claim to be one. So that's sort of that side of it. Um, I do think, though, as I sort of alluded to there, that that we as a society are suffering because of our disrespect for other species. Um, And not just mammals, right? Not just what we eat. Um, I think that we have a very simplistic view of the world around us and and cosmos around us, around the universe we live in. and that there is magic there that we just don't understand and we go tromping off and have all sorts of unintended consequences. And I think one of the things that's true in terms of how um, meat farming exists uh, is that it affects us all in a very deep way, in the same way that slavery affects a society, whether they, whether individuals hold slaves or not, the way we treat animals affects us all, although I wouldn't make that parallel, right? I don't think it affects us as much, but it, it does affect us all. So I think it's horrible that it exists, and I don't want to participate in it. Now, on the other hand, I don't think that polemicism helps anybody. So back to my, my you know, three quarters of the time for the rest of your life versus two weeks, I would much rather have someone on our program have more people on our program who are eating meat only twice a week when they used to eat it probably, you know, 15 times a week than to be purist and not have them on my program at all. And what we have found in real life, because we started with no meat, right? I don't eat it. Um, we, we, is that it is terrifying to people. They cannot imagine it. And I'd way rather be welcoming and meet people where they are and help them along a path um, from a health standpoint and also from an ethical standpoint, right? I want to help them understand why it matters, whether meat is, is whether animals are, are treated horribly, poorly, or just badly, um, and that that's, that's a continuum that you just don't have to participate in one end of and that that makes a difference and it's better. So by reducing the overall consumption, I think we're contributing to something positive. And I actually think, I will say, lots of vegans who I've talked to take a very, you know, dim view on that philosophy that I just said. But the reality is they just turn folks off. So it's a little bit, I'm a pretty hardcore environmentalist. To me, it's a little bit like tree spiking. Mm -hmm. I'm actually kind of glad there's people out there who spike trees but I'm not going to spike trees. Um, you know, so I respect the end, but I think that it ends up turning off the rest of the folks, and I'd rather engage everybody. Right. I, I've, I've seen too many sort of Facebook comments from cruelty-free vegans who are 
just miserable to other human beings who disagree mm-hmm. with them. Oh, horrible. I, I mean, I know stories of, of folks. There's one, um, quite well known person in the plant-based community who is an ethical vegan and known for that. And she stood up at a conference and told this amazing story of, of literally being tracked because she feeds her cat meat. Literally being tracked down physically. Someone followed her with her car. Like, that doesn't help anybody. Guys, that doesn't help. It doesn't help. Right. And, you know, the, uh, when I hear your, your arguments about, you know, this is a planet on which life eats life, um, I think it's important to realize that there are, there are multiple ethics. That it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like we are ethical and they are not. That's exactly right. Yep, I think that's exactly right. So I'm curious um, if there were any experiences with with your restaurant partners, with employees, where where somebody was deeply resistant to the idea and either couldn't handle it and had to move on or or, or step aside or was converted. What's it like to, for for food professionals who have been taught their whole lives this is how you make stuff taste good? Um, oh to, boy, to yes. Change? It's, 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 um, we've had only one that we failed with. Um, you know, it was a very, it was sort of a, a brew pubby place with very meat heavy, um, alternatives. The owner very much just was, you, most of ours are owner operators, usually owner chef. And this one was an owner operator, but not an owner chef. And he just couldn't get a chef to do it. Chef was classically trained had really an amazing curricula vitae of, of restaurants. He just couldn't get his head there. Um, and so that was disappointing. But the vast majority of them are excited, right? One of the things that people who don't aren't really familiar with making art think is that artists are sort of wild and all over the place. And in fact, most art comes out of a sense of constraint, you know, so that it's the size of the canvas or the length of the piece or the number of instruments you have to play on that makes, forces the conditions that make great art. And so most chefs think it's really fun, right? You say to them, you're going to make something great, but you're not, you're going to do it without X, Y, Z. And they sort of look at you at first and then we take them through the training and they give it a try. And almost always their first tries fail. Um, as often because they meet the requirements nutritionally but fail from a culinary perspective as the other way around. You know, they'll taste good, but it turns out they've snuck a bunch of salt in it. Um, and so we just go through a learning process with them. And in general, they are super excited to do it and have a great time. As I said, there's only one so far that, that didn't make it through. Um, it's actually interesting because one of the – maybe the one chef we have the most challenges with – um, on the getting the food clean as a vegan chef. Because <laughs> she's, you know, she's, she does vegan comfort food, absolutely wonderful, wonderful food. But what does she use? She uses a lot of salt, sugar, and fat. Mm-hmm. So do, do any of them change their own diets so that their palates can adjust to your requirements? Because you know, we have not, no, we have not had that yet. And I'll tell you, that is a huge challenge, Howard, because as everybody knows, um, when you don't eat a lot of salt, everything, you know, you can't even eat uh, uh, from a commercial can of soup. It's so overwhelmingly salty. 
Um, and the true same is true of oil as well. Um, sweetener, I think, not so much. So, no, we haven't. And basically, that's part of the reason that you have a lot of back and forth with them before we approve a dish is to get it just right. Um, and we just tell them, you got to trust our palate, not yours, um, because customers will, will get there. We also, incidentally, in, include in customers' first bag, first delivery, a little salt shaker um, of, of sea salt. And we say to them, look, at, the, at first, just put some salt on. It's fine. Just wean yourself off over time because otherwise we found we lose them because to them the, the food tastes tasteless because we've honed it for a you know a salt-free palate. That's funny. It's like giving them a salt patch. Exactly. That's exactly all. That's a great analogy. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. That's exactly right. That's hilarious. So so you you got a bunch of restaurants. You started with I guess just just a couple to. Yep, we started uh, to, with two. And how did you? Market to people to cost. How'd you get customers? Well, we're still working on getting customers. If there's anyone in the Philadelphia area, we'd love if you signed up at realfoodworks.com. Um, we started with just I twittered it, um, and I have yeah, you know, I have about a thousand Twitter followers, and they're mostly Philly based, a lot of tech people, and we got our first set of customers out of that. And then we spent the first six months or so just getting the service right. And it's pretty complicated getting all the food here to there and keeping it cold and all that. So. We fit, we, we just did that for about the first six months and then, uh, most of it since then it's driven by about 40% of our business comes just from referrals. So it's happy customers referring more happy customers. Um, and most of the rest of it comes from press. So, you know, it's sort of an intriguing idea. People like it. We've had a good number of articles and things about us. Um, and over time, we really hope that it's just, you know, as the movement happens that our business grows with it. So we have, for example, farm table lunches every Wednesday, um, where we just have people over for lunch. And we don't, it's, it's a marketing event in that it gets our name out, but it really isn't designed as customer acquisition. It's just designed to help spread the gospel. Um, and so that is something that the press got interested in. So you never know, um, how things develop, but mostly it's been, it was by Twitter followers, then it's been referrals and, and the press. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like it's been so far a matter of balancing demand with your capacity to to meet it at at uh, a high enough standard of quality. Yeah, it has. I mean, that's why we just added a whole bunch more restaurants. So our restaurants vary widely in capacity. Some of them have a lot. Some of them not as much. Um, some of them are more specialized. Some are more general. So you, we do have to manage. We've got lots of capacity though right now. So we'd love to have a whole ton of new customers. All right. Do you think it's mostly a matter of having to convert people in the area or people are are just about there, but they don't know about you yet? We're hoping that it's mostly they're just about there, but they don't know about us yet. I think, you know, we don't market ourselves as whole food plant-based um, because we've found that that's very off-putting for people. We're really kind of hoping. I, I had a conversation with um, Dr. Colin Campbell about this. I think that the, the whole food plant-based label which he applied um is candidly really unfortunate you know it's it's accurate so it's great for scientists but i actually had somebody a really smart guy say to me do you have vegetables in your in your food <laughs> it's like what are you talking about? it's like all vegetables he said well plants i thought you meant like plants yeah. yeah plants doesn't mean vegetables to people it doesn't mean grains and whatever so it's scientifically accurate but i think you know, we've got a long way to turn that word into how people 
think about healthy food. So what we market instead is real food. So we're talking about healthy, delicious, convenient. Um, now, in fact, along the way, we do lots of education about whole food plant-based and why that is and what it is and what the what it means and what the advantages are and all the rest. But if we had to convert people to whole food plant-based, I think I'd have about two customers. Um, so we just go for the health angle uh, and then bring them along the way. Right. I guess, you know, the uh, the scientists do their thing, but when we, we ask them to step out in front and market for us, we're in trouble. So that's... Yeah, and, and I do think, actually, you know, Howard, it's funny you say that because I really think, I've come to believe that that's one of the key challenges the movement has, is that when we look at our leaders, it's people like, you know, Dr. Esselstyn and Tikhan Campbell and, and, and Neil Bernard and McDougal, and it's all these physicians or, or, or PhDs. Um, who really, I think, in their heart of hearts, have a world, you know, believe that if people just knew, they would do it. And I can tell you from dealing with hundreds of people, even when they know, they don't do it. I had this experience, I was at a um, retreat with um, Drs. Esselstyn and Campbell, and it was expensive. It was, you know, like six or $800 for the weekend, and there were a few hundred attendees. And of all the people I met, there were only two who were actually eating a whole food plant-based diet. So here are people, they'd read every book, they'd seen every movie, they'd, they'd gone to this retreat and been willing to pay for it, and they're still not doing it. It's really hard for people to change how they eat. So the information alone isn't going to do it, right? We've got to really understand how to package it and market it and make it sexy and help people with the, with the behavioral changes that they need to make, with access. It's more than just information. Right on. And um, I wanted to talk to you about the coaching component because obvious, yeah. obviously providing the food is hugely important. You know, that's something that we're, we're doing down in my neck of the woods yep. um, with uh, the Plant Pure Wellness um, we, we didn't listen to the, to, uh, to anyone telling us we shouldn't have our own kitchen. So we're, we're going through that. Growing, yeah, there you go. That growing phase. But, but, you know, clearly the idea of giving people the food, selling people the food is, is a lot better than just giving them the information. But just, you're, you're giving, you're selling people the food and you're providing sort of behavioral support. Can you talk about right. how, how that came about? Did you did yeah. you build that in from the beginning, or did at some point no. did you realize we need that too? Yeah, so only our weight loss customers get that today. Um, and it came from um, my research into what actually works to help people lose weight. And it makes a lot of sense. One of the things that actually works when you look at the research, not the, you know, whatever latest cabbage soup gimmick you they have, is support. Um, people need primarily behavioral support. I mean, I can tell you now from experience, we have, we have I don't know, a couple dozen customers we're doing this with so far. We just launched it a few weeks ago. Um, they People have terrible habits. So we... We, I really went out and looked at what the research said. It said support both social and coaches. We're not doing anything with social support yet. So we started doing that. And it has been unbelievably revealing. Um, people have a hard time. So we deliver food. Our weight loss program is full menu. So breakfast, lunch, dinner, and two snacks uh, Monday through Friday. 
And then the weekend, the idea is one weekend day, relax, it's okay, whatever you want, and one weekend day, you're supposed to learn how to do this on your own, whether you're eating out or cooking at home, and we provide full support. We'll look at menus with you, we'll give you recipes, um, they track, another element that works with weight loss is tracking, and so we have them track everything, we've got a nice little personal weight loss portal where they track, and then our coach can see everything that they've done and interact with them around it, um, and Boy, do people need help. Um, you just be amazed um, at people who know but don't do. It's not a it's not an information problem. It's a behavior problem. And so we use all kinds of things. Like I know, Howard, that you're 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 uh, you turned me on to my favorite thing recently, um, Tiny Habits. Yep. Which is uh, B.J. Fogg, a, a, a researcher's approach to habit changing. Um, which is based on this fact that habits have an anchor. So there's some stimulus that then triggers the habitual response and you need to, you can use that anchor to, to shift to a new habit by doing it in little teeny tiny increments, like for example, flossing one tooth after you brush. So we're using those sorts of techniques with folks, um, and it's proving to be really, really important. The emotional side of it, the actual um, help with what you should eat, and the helping them with with cha- with techniques to change their habits. Great, and and so in in connection with the the coaching and the food together, seem to create a sort of environment that's different enough from their old environment that some of the old habits can can fall away naturally. It's almost that's like exactly the goal. Over, yeah, over, it's, overwhelming the the old environment. That's right. One of the one of the very clear goals that I had when we first started the company was to make it more convenient to eat healthy than to eat unhealthy. And the way we do that is by putting or easier, not more convenient. The word was easier. So make it easier to eat healthy than not healthy. Well, if you open up your fridge and there's this gorgeous, inviting, delicious meal that all you have to do is heat it up and eat it, are you going to do that or are you going to call the pizza guy? It's actually easier in the sense of it's right there and you know it's going to be great to eat that real food works meal. So that combined with the coaching, right, you're taking away all the typical behaviors by giving them the food and then you're making them aware and mindful of what they're doing. You're giving techniques. So for example... We have everybody sit, we have everybody plate their food, sit at a table properly and eat. So you get into, you're building a habit then of, I don't eat in the car, I don't eat when I'm running, I don't grab a thing on the way where I actually have a meal, I have a meal. Um, a lot of this stuff I try on myself as we're going along, and I'll say that's my absolute favorite one, called table plate chair, and the mindfulness, it's like this little oasis of 10 minutes of calm in my life. I am now eating... That's all I'm doing. I'm not reading my email. I'm not doing anything except eating. It's actually, it's almost meditative for me. So, you know, that's an ease. Then that habit's going to stick because it's pleasurable. So you're ripping out the old ones and building new ones. And I, I would challenge someone to do that with, you know, your standard American meal. Because I, I have a feeling that even if you're used to it, even if your palate is totally adapted to huge amounts of salt, sugar, and fat, if you sit down and try to eat mindfully, like a McDonald's yeah. big, big Mac, 
you know, you you will become nauseated. Yeah, there's this great book called The Slow Food Diet, which has a lot of really interesting scientific data about all of these sorts of things, like the fact that your body doesn't absorb nutrition in the same way when you're under stress, just passes it through. Um, about breathing and oxygenating your food as you're as you're eating, uh, you know, not just frou frou stuff, but real. But so he tells a story in that book, a great story about having a client um, who was completely addicted to sort of McDonald's and that sort of thing, and had him practice mindfulness. So basically said, "Fine, eat your hamburger and your French fries. Go ahead and eat it, but." When you eat it, you have to eat it slowly and mindfully. You know what happened? It's exactly what you just said. Came back the next time and said, I hate that food. It's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. As soon as you pay attention to it, you and then totally didn't need it anymore. So you're exactly right. You're exactly yeah. right. Yeah, I'm remembering. Versus, you know, sit down with a ripe peach. Man, that there's an experience. Right. That just gets better and better. Yep. You know, as, as you, as you get more into it. I'm remembering, you know, high school cafeteria style eating like the tater tots and there was this like instant mouthfeel pleasure and then just, just like guilt. Yeah. Guilt and also that one in particular. I always think that stuff tastes so slimy afterwards. You have yeah. a feeling in your mouth like yick. Well, that's, I mean, that's the big behavioral challenge, isn't it? That we all, we all know at the, sort of at the end of the day, that making the right choices, even even if it means, you know, you've got uh, the pizza on speed dial and you have to make a meal, if you, if you sort of total up all the effort, all the energy, all the costs into both of those, you know at the end of the day that you're going to come out ahead by yep. make, making it from scratch. It's it's just that there's the seduction of now that yep. I'm, I'm, you yep. know, I, I'm willing to, I'm willing to 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 um to give myself a lesser experience to go into deficit just if i if i don't have to put in the effort now cuz we're also sort of tired and stressed as you said yep i think that's right and i think the other aspect i'd put in there howard is social pressure and i don't mean that in any sort of big way but rather just everybody gets pizza so that's what you do you get pizza right and you're sort of led to believe that's easy because that's what everybody does. And so, you know, as, as humans, one of the, you know, some of the habit science points out, what we do is so complex that we abstract and all these little behaviors. So think about driving a car. If you had to actually think about every single thing that you were doing while you're driving a car, you could never do it. Well, life is like that, right? And so the pizza thing is just like the automatic that you hit the blinker when you're going to make a turn. It's the same sort of level of consciousness. You're not really thinking about what you're doing. You're just doing it because it's what everybody does, what you always did, right? So it seems easier because it's familiar, but in fact, it isn't necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's also, it's also, you know, when you talk about social, like a lot of people in the plant-based movement will tell us, you know, that all this processed food we're eating isn't normal and the huge amounts of animal products we're eating aren't normal. That's all true from a physiological perspective, yep. but it's also not normal to not eat the food that your tribe eats. That's, that's like that's right. less normal. It's, it's exactly right. And, and one is immediate, right? So you feel the effects. So, you know, we all have these issues. These are, these are the kind of things that we help customers with. Thanksgiving coming up. 
What are you going to do at Thanksgiving? You're there. There's 20 people at dinner. Some of them you've known since you were born, and you're going to do something completely different than the night than the other 19 people, and that you did the 49 other times you've done this. That is, boy, that's hard. I mean, wow, that's hard. <laughs> right. So, my on my journeys, my third Thanksgiving now, um, the first. One, I ate a bunch of non, of stuff I wouldn't normally. I don't think I had any turkey, but I ate stuffing and, you know, mashed potatoes that had milk in them and stuff like that. Um, and felt absolutely sick afterwards. It was horrible. Um, and then last year, I made, I was at my house and I made a, my mom, my 80 plus year old mother, who now eats plant based, but, you know, she's been doing Thanksgiving. She's done it 80 times. We had to have a turkey. So I got a little, the smallest turkey I could get. And, there, you know, we ate hardly any of it. And at the end, she said, you know, listen, let's not do that next year. We'll find something <laughs> different next year. Um, and all the sides and things that I made, I just, I, by then I'd learned how to cook. So I just made a plant-based. And it was fine because it was close enough to people's traditional experiences. But I was in control. If you're not in control, that's super hard. And if you don't have the skills to do that, it's just super hard. So I think you're right. I mean, I think that it's, um, we like to, you know, I think, um, Dr. Esselstyn has that great line about, um, you know, people think eating a whole food plant based diet is, is, is extreme. How about prying open your chest for extreme? But the reality is a lot more people get their chest pried open. Yeah, well, you know, it's uh we're we're all doing it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so what's uh what's the future, the the near future of real plant works? Where 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 are you hoping to go? Whole food works? So the, oh, sorry, the, the Whole Food works. Future, the near future is just really honing the model and and um growing in Philadelphia. Well, we also it's a very exciting time for us and actually you're meeting with us here a few weeks ago was a piece of this is um, we feel like we're having a little bit of a coming out party um, in the whole food plant-based community, right? So we've sort of reached enough critical mass. We're real. We've been around long enough um, that we're being taken seriously, and that's really fun. So I had a chance to spend some time with Rip Esselstyn a couple weeks ago that were just great. Um, so that's happening as well, and that right now is really the sort of national element of what we're doing. And then, um, hopefully in 2014, we'll be opening another city. We haven't made final decision yet about which one. Um, we keep vacillating. Um, but that's really the next step after, after feel, after getting the point where we really feel like we quote unquote have it in Philly. That's, that's great. And, it's, and I'm so encouraged by your background and your skill set because, you know, as, that's kind of what our movement needs right now and what the American healthcare system needs right now is people who haven't just come up through the ranks of the plant-based movement. It, it reminds me of an article I read in the New York Times over the weekend on mindfulness. Um, and the, the new generation of mindfulness teachers are not, you know, Zen monks or, mm -hmm. or hippies. They're like Silicon Valley entrepreneurs yeah. who are putting together amazing apps and programs who understand you know, usability and, and business and psychology. Um, and it feels like, you know, you're, you're of that ilk. You're coming into this community saying, boy, look at, there's all these inefficiencies. 
Mm-hmm. There's inefficiencies in how our bodies process the, the garbage that we call food. There's inefficiencies in the distribution system. There's inefficiencies in all these restaurants that are struggling. There's inefficiencies in my life as I try to um, to eat better. And you know what? The, an- the answer to all these inefficiencies is the same damn thing. It's this new yeah. business model that no one's ever thought of before. But once you say it, it's like, well, that's bleeding obvious. Yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah, I do think that that's true. It's going to be very interesting. I think – uh, in terms of what happens in the movement. I think um, we're past that stage where it's mom and pop, and it's not yet clear what the next stage is going to look like. And so we certainly are very hopeful that we'll be big contributors to bringing this little corner, th- this thing that's been living over here in the corner of the world out to the public. You know, it's amazing you can get specials with Sanjay Gupta and, Articles like, you know, in sort of, uh, Robin Gibbons' new book it's, and all the Gwyneth Paltrow stuff. There's so much stuff that's very similar but not necessarily exactly the same thing. You look at what Dr. Oz has on his shows and all the rest. And I think what we have to do is take – is not um, not put ourselves on the sideline of that conversation. Put ourselves front and center in the middle of that conversation so that we can – pull society over towards a towards a direction that's going to be so much better for everybody. So I think it's an interesting transition point be, be, between sort of, you know, an early set of folks who I think the world will be forever indebted to um, and the need to let go of some of those approaches and move towards a bigger platform. Right. Well, you know, you mentioned the goal of, of your company is to get people to make it easier to eat well than to eat poorly. It, you know, you're also part of an entrepreneurial social movement that is trying to make it easier to make money selling healthy food than crappy food. That's right. That's completely right. Yeah, we want it. We were basically just an utterly different kind of model. There's a whole bunch of us taking different stabs at it, but that's right. And most of us are, do have technology backgrounds, right? And sort of think about the world and how can we do things completely different way. I don't think a food person ever would have started Real Food Works. They wouldn't tell me the 50 reasons that it doesn't work. And guess what? It actually does work. Um, <laughs> and so you need that fresh blood and different way of thinking to come up with a more innovative approaches. Great. Well, I'm, I'm really glad we got this time to talk. Um, how can So people in the Philadelphia area can avail themselves of Real Food Works right now? Where where do they go? How do they find out more? That's right. They can just come to www.realfoodworks.com and sign up. We would love to have you as customers. And I'd also invite you down at the bottom of that page, there's a link to the Forum Table Lunch. If you um, are already cooking and don't need a service like ours, we'd love to have you there. That'll take you to a meetup, our meetup group, um, where you could sign up for that. So either way, we would love any listeners in the Philadelphia area to engage with us. Right. And, and, have, and having been there, I've got to say, you're surrounded by parking lots. So that's we are. So it's it may be one access. of the few places in Center City where that will not be a problem. That's exactly right. And we're, we're very walkable from Suburban Station, too. So, All right. Well, Lucinda Duncalf, realfoodworks.com, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. And may your company go from strength to strength. Oh, thank you so much, Howard. It was a real pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye.